Welcome to our Rock City Church podcast. We are so excited to have you join us. Our desire is that you would listen with expectancy for what God wants to do in your life. We pray that you would encounter the mighty love of the Father and that you would be fired up for the more that He has for you. All right, well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you, and I'm glad that you all are here. And I'm excited about this word that the Lord has given us for today. And I want to talk to you about being thankful when it's painful. And for those of you that don't know, or those of you that do know, I've, I've experienced a massive amount of adversity in my life. And in, as more adversity comes and trouble and hardship comes, I've learned to be thankful even in the midst of it. And I'll tell you a few quick stories. When we found out the news that we had lost our daughter at 32 weeks as a stillbirth, when we went to the hospital, the first thing we did was bring a little Bluetooth player, open up the windows, and worship. We made a decision to build a store even in the midst of that. When Hurricane Harvey hit, uh, not long after that, and we rolled into Port Aransas and saw my coffee shop completely destroyed, uh, about as bad as any other building out there, I celebrated and I said, thank, thank you, God, that in the midst of this, you're going to have a plan and a purpose. Because I've learned that no matter what I face on this earth and no matter what I go through, God's always good. Now, I've learned that over time. I've learned the lordship and headship of Christ no matter how hard it is and no matter how much pain I'm in. And a lot of you are experiencing pain. You have experienced pain or you will experience pain. Now, we live in a culture where none of us wants to experience pain. I mean, pain's not fun. And I don't wish pain upon anybody. But I also understand that sometimes things happen that are painful. Right after we lost our daughter, I got a pneumonia three times that put me in the hospital and I almost died and then I lost my mom. Remember? Uh, The nurse that was there taking care of me, Peggy's here today, and it was a divine encounter. And when I was sitting in that hospital room, I was worshiping and she walked in and heard worship music. That sparked conversation, now we're family. When Amber looks back at her trial of the loss, all she can remember is that Jesus carried her. The presence of God was there. I've been through multiple hurricanes. I've been in and out of prison. I have experienced so much suffering and hardship. But through it all, through it all, God has been so good. And what I want to teach you guys today, which is fitting, obviously we're going into Thanksgiving week, but... I'm thinking to myself, what am I most thankful for and how can I be thankful even when things aren't going the way that I want them to go? I would imagine a lot of you are having a lot of questions and struggles and frustrations about a variety of things. And if you don't see things the way God sees things and you don't learn to respond the way that God wants us to respond, you're not going to be able to see the victory through it instead of just at the end. I believe that God will see us through, but I would love to see the story and build the story in the process, not just wait till the end. If it was all about the end, then when you gave your life to Jesus, he'd just whack you and take you home. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome it. And now learn the beautiful story of me walking with you and teaching you how to be more than a conqueror, how to be my ambassador, how to be my representative how to learn to stand strong in the midst of adversity and hardship so that you can help somebody else. So my story and Amber's stories help so many people. And every week I get to get up here and celebrate the greatness of God having been a poster child of suffering. 
and I'll take it because of who, who I've become today. And yeah, a lot of times I look back, I'm like, man, I wish that could have been different, but it wasn't. And so I don't live in regret. Instead, what I do is I turn it for the good. And so the scripture I want to start off with is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. And by the way, welcome to everybody that's watching online. I feel like this word's going to be for a lot of you that are watching online and listening by podcast today. God wants us in everything to give thanks. This is his will. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, this can be a difficult scripture for some because how can I give thanks when things are painful, when things are hurting, when I've lost a loved one or a friend or when our country's going the way that it's going? I mean, where, where do I begin with what's happening in the world around us? But God wants you to have an, an, a trust that's unwavering and immovable and unshakable no matter what happens in the world around you. So gratitude and thankfulness in those situations reveals who you're putting your trust and your hope in. The devil always wants you to have your eyes on your problems. The Lord always wants you to have your eye on the solution. And I would say that more often than not, we're contemplating and thinking about the struggles and the challenge and the problems that we have or our shortcomings or so many people battle with not feeling like they're good enough or doing enough or measuring up enough. And then you start getting your eyes on the media, the world, the White House, the president, all the issues, the laws that are unbiblical that are being passed and inflation and taxes and all the stuff that's going on around us. And if you're looking at those things, and especially if you're hurting in the midst of that, you'll just sink into a dark, dark place. Now, having been through lots of dark places, I've learned in every time that I worship and I praise God in the midst of it. If you ever see me really worshiping, which should be every time that I come in, and I'm not doing it for you, by the way, I'm doing it because I've always been a worshiper. I'm not worshiping because, man, I've got it all together and I'm having the best day I've ever had. Sometimes that might be the case, but more often than not, it's that I'm so desperate and I'm so broken and I'm so hungry for the things of God that I come in here expectant that I need to meet him face to face. Last week, I taught you in Psalm 27 about where David said, King David said, the Lord said, seek my face. And my heart said, your face I will seek. Because the answer's in his face. It's in his countenance. It's in his glory. More than just in his hand. When you get his face, you get his hand. But more people are seeking out his hand and his provision than you are seeking his face. God loves you and wants to communion with you. During worship, I'm just having these conversations with God. Now, if you were watching me and didn't know me and I wasn't here, you would think I was a crazy person strung out on drugs in the street. And I'm having these back and forth dialogues with God, communing with him. That's normal for a Christian. I think something, he responds, and then we start talking to each other. Remember, prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. It's not you doing all the talking. It's doing more listening, asking the right questions, contemplating. So in the midst of hardship, I'm contemplating with the Lord. The other day, I was uh, talking to the Lord, and I said, man, Lord, I feel like I'm just not seeing. I want to see what you see. He said, oh, you can't handle what I see. I said, you're right. I'm sure that I can't because he can handle way more than we can handle. So there's things he sees that he actually doesn't want you to see. So then my response was, well, then Lord, help me to see what you want me to see. That's a much better prayer. Lord, you know what I can handle and what I can't handle. And the truth is there's some things God doesn't want you to see. That's why you need to guard your little eyes. 
Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Because there's stuff going on in this world and around us that will spin you out when you know about it. There's injustices everywhere, but until your heart is strong and sure and secure and confident in his love, those things will spin you out and then you'll fall back into eating from the wrong tree of knowledge of good and evil and you'll start wishing death upon your enemies. What I want you to notice in this scripture is that it says in, not for. Now there are some things that I thank God for that doesn't make sense. And as I've matured and as I've grown, I realize that honestly, God is good at all times and he loves me and he's way bigger and his eyes are on me and his ears are on me and he knows what's best for me and he knows what's best for you. But I, we didn't thank God that we lost a child. I didn't thank God that I lost a coffee shop. I didn't thank God for the things that I did. Instead, I thank God in the midst of those things because I know he's much bigger and greater. So what is your situation today? What's your situation? What's your massive question? What's your doubt? What's your fear? What's your worry? Something happens when you begin to worship and you begin to praise God in the midst of those things. Because now what you're saying is I'm drawing a line in the sand. No matter what situation and circumstances around me, I've made a decision of who I'm going to trust and I'm going to worship. David in Psalm 16 said, I've set the Lord always before me. And because he's at my right hand, I'm not going to be shaken. But a lot of things are going to come to shake you. And there's maybe things that need to shake you because if you have crooked ways in your heart, God says, I'm going to shake every crooked path so that I can make them straight. Many times we think it's the devil, but it's really God coming to shake you up. We should probably do less blaming of the devil and take more responsibility. This is God's will, is to always be thankful. Because we're going to talk about a little bit. You can start to think about this now, and I'll give you some good antonyms and synonyms of thankful here in a minute. But you can only imagine what the opposite of being thankful is. And being the opposite, the opposite of being thankful is going to kill you. The deceptive lie is I don't have anything to be thankful for. I've lost a spouse. I've lost my job. The country's in the toilet. I'm sick. I'm in pain. What is your story? I got backstabbed, cheated on, divorced five times. I don't care what your story is. Gratitude and thankfulness puts you in a position of saying, God, no matter what happens, I'm trusting you. And I'm not thanking you that I did what I did, but I'm thanking you in the midst of it, no matter what I did. Let me give you a couple great stories. The Bible's full, full of thankfulness when, it's pain, when people are in pain. In Daniel chapter 6, so Daniel had already interpreted several dreams for Belshazzar's father, King Belshazzar's father. This is Babylon, complete idol-worshiping pagan nation, takes Israel into captivity. God raises up a young man by the name of Daniel and he is wise, he has an excellent spirit about him, and he makes a decision to honor God no matter what is going on around him. That's what King David did as well. He had wisdom at a young age. Don't pull the scripture up yet, please. And so what happened was, he interprets dreams for Nebuchadnezzar, then Nebuchadnezzar's son takes over, and by the way, Nebuchadnezzar puts Daniel in charge of all the psychics, the mediums, the astrologers, and the magicians. So a God-fearing Jew, a young God-fearing Jew boy or young man is raised up to now oversee all the magicians. 
This is ultimately where the wise men would come from when Jesus was two. They would come from Babylon and they knew the stories of Daniel. So Daniel gets raised to be over all the magicians and the astrologers and the psychics and the star, you know, stargazers and then Nebuchadnezzar passed away. Belshazzar takes over and uh, Belshazzar also has a dream with handwriting on the wall. And Belshazzar says, hey, I need somebody to interpret this. And by the way, I'm not even going to tell them what it is. You're going to have to figure it out. That's quite a test. Along comes Daniel, and Daniel is able to interpret the dreams. And then he passes away, and here comes King Darius. Daniel keeps getting promoted, by the way, every step of the way. He's faithful, excellent spirit, wisdom, trust God, in captivity, in Babylon, and probably has way more to complain about than we could ever imagine. Joseph, man, one of these days I'm going to do an awesome teaching on the life of Joseph again. Sold into slavery by his own brothers, lied about from Potiphar's wife, prison, human trafficking. Excellent spirit the entire time, wisdom, trust in God. Throw me in prison, I'll interpret some dreams there. Next thing you know, he interprets dreams for the king and now he's put in charge. A dreamer goes to being an economist in charge of all the economy. How does that work? Don't think that God can't do something supernatural with you. And so what happened was, was there were three rulers or leaders put in position by King Darius over all the satraps. Now these are province rulers and governors in the land. And Daniel's one of the leaders over them all. Well, they're upset, angry. The devil probably comes in, lies to them. So in turn, you know, they only saw Daniel as a exiled Jew in captivity. They don't see Daniel for all that he's done in the past. And the devil's working on the magicians and the governors and the satraps. Of course he is. So they go to King Darius and say, issue a decree. Now, you guys should know the story. I'm summing it up for those of you that don't really know the Bible very well. Issue a decree that Nobody can pray because they had been watching Daniel. They see his excellent spirit and they see that he prays to our God, the living God, Jehovah, and is being blessed. So they go to King Darius, they issue a decree that anybody that prays to anyone or anything else but you, O great king, shall be thrown in to the pit of lions. And so the king's like, yeah, okay, egotistical, prideful. So he issues the decree, but it was a trap and set up for Daniel. And then the king signs the decree. Now we'll go to Daniel 6.10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, here's what it doesn't say. He went home and complained in a pity party, angry, mad, and wishing death upon his enemies. He gave up. He was a victim. He fell prey to shame. Doesn't say that. But that's what so often that we do. Daniel didn't have Jesus. He didn't have the cross. He didn't have the blood. He didn't have Rock City Church. He didn't have Google and YouTube. He didn't have podcasts. In fact, who was mentoring Daniel? Anybody? 
he learned to be faithful when it was just him and the Lord. And so when he heard that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and did what? And gave thanks before his God. But I really want you to see this part, as was his custom since early days. Now, this guy's been through three kings, massive persecution, lies. I mean, imagine he's having to lead people that are false idol worshipers. And God's pouring out his spirit on him and giving him authority and power over them. He's faced massive amounts of hardship and persecution in exile in Babylon, which would be modern-day Iran, which is the fastest-growing church in the world right now, by the way. God's moving in Iran. There's a revival happening in Iran. And so he prayed and gave thanks, as was his custom. What I want to challenge you to do is make it your custom now. Now, God will take you in crisis. He will take you every time in crisis. But at some point, you move past being a crisis Christian. And you move into being a faithful, thankful, grateful, worshiping, God-loving, God-fearing son or daughter all the days of your life, no matter how hard it is. Let's talk about King David for a moment. When King David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then sent Uriah to the front lines to be killed, she winds up being pregnant. It's a terrible situation. And the result of what should have happened to King David as a king for committing adultery and lying and doing what he did should have been death, but God had mercy on him. But the decree should have been that he was stoned or lost his position. I mean, it would have been bad. It is what we tend to do to modern day pastors that fall and make mistakes to this day. I would suggest that you never do that, but pray for them and love them and let God restore them. And so Nathan comes to David in Second uh, Samuel chapter 12 and corrects him, rebukes him. David repents. And then the consequence is that David would lose his firstborn son. And so right after that, the son gets sick. And so David lays down on the ground, probably in a fetal position on the cold ground, tears his clothes, and for seven days he lays on the ground and weeps and cries and fasts, seven days. Weeping broken before the Lord. And while he's there, he writes probably one of the best Psalms in all the Psalms, Psalm 51. You should read that psalm over and over and over again. This was written when he had the greatest failure and was corrected and rebuked by God and very likely when he was laying on the ground or he was given the words. We don't know exactly when, where, or how, but it was at this time, right after he was busted and he tried to cover it up initially and the prophet called him out. So instead of being angry and victim and shameful and pity party, What he did was he cried out to the living God, he fasted and he prayed for seven days and writes Psalm 51. I'll pull just one verse out, verse 12. In verse 11, he says, or he says, or whatever it was I gave you, 12, 13, he says, the sacrifices of, uh, if you wanted sacrifices, 
that wouldn't please you. Bulls, typical sacrifices. What I want is I want a broken spirit or and a contrite heart. And he realizes in his most hurtful place that your brokenness is beautiful to God because now you're not prideful, arrogant, and doing it in your own strength. Are you going to fix your situation on your own? And it's okay to weep and cry and mourn. It's David did it for seven days. And he wrote the most beautiful psalm and he was transformed in the process. And he trusted God and he realized that what God really wants is our heart and he wants us to be broken because when we're broken, tears flow. I be, yesterday, somebody has made a lot of mistakes, was in a meeting. He's like, I'm just gonna sit here. I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna cry. I'm like, dude, you're gonna cry. You're gonna sit there and be, continue to be like an orphan and preserve and protect yourself. You're not that tough. You're not that bad. We hold back our tears because we don't want to show emotions. And we don't allow ourselves to be broken for failures and mistakes and shortcomings. It's okay when God reveals it to you, but what you do with it is what matters the most. And what David did was he realized that, yeah, I bombed it, but now I'm crying out to God and he's actually pleased with me. So God would actually forgive him and have mercy. And instead of death, he would get life. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20, I want you to see this. After the child died, after David's firstborn son died, look at this. David arose from the ground. He washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. Then he went to his own house. And when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. And his own servants were like, I don't even understand this. You didn't eat when he was dying. Now that he's dead, you're going to eat. David said, there was nothing I could do about it then. or nothing I can do about it now. So I'm going to move forward and trust God. Instead of living in regret. David didn't live in regret. He washed himself, anointed himself, and changed clothes. You know what that means? You get covered under the blood and you worship and you get washed by the water of the word today. Do not walk out of these doors carrying your pain, your regret, your shame. Hear my voice. I preach this almost every week. And yet you hear the words and you leave. And by the way, I love you, so I'm going to admonish you a little bit. But you hear the words repeatedly over and over and over again. Leave, go, and come back as sad, broke, busted, and disgusted as all the last weeks that you came. And my challenge to you today is get your hands up and worship and start to say, thank you, God, in the midst of every situation. I know some of you don't like what your spouse is doing. I know some of you have lost loved ones. I know some of you have been through horrible pain and many of you are feeling pain right now. But one of the best things that you can do is get under the blood, get under the shadow of the cross, the shadow of his wing, get into worship, get into praise and start saying, God, I don't understand and I don't have to have all the answers, but I thank you that in the midst of this, your purposes and your plans are yes and amen. And I'm going to trust you. Some of you did that in crisis and got your breakthrough and then right, went right back to the way that you used to be. Man, I'm in the hardest time of my life. God, I need you. I've seen it for years and years and years. And guess what? I'll take you back every time. So don't feel condemned by what I'm telling you. You're never condemned. So get past it. This is a fatherly admonition. You're here crying out in tears at the altar 
I pray for you. We, we counsel you. Leaders help you break through whatever your situation was. God restored all things that were lost, robbed, and stolen. Man, God was so good. And it's just a matter of time. As soon as things are good, we're right back in the sack with the arms of another, right back to smoking, drinking, partying, work, being a workaholic. Now, I've done that about a hundred times myself. So first off, why I'm telling you not to be condensed because I've been there. I can only preach this so good because I know it's so good. Okay? But at some point, you get off the crazy train. Do it today. Today's a great day. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. Well, so what did David do? He changed clothes. He, he, we have to get a change of clothes. God clothes you in righteousness. Yes. Anoint yourself. Get, in, get into the presence of God. Let worship and let somebody lay hands on you. We call for altar calls. Man, when I was hurting and broken, going through a divorce, at my, my dark, what felt like then my darkest hour, which now looking back, it's like sixth or seventh on the list. It's like, you think it's hard now? It's like, man, but God always sees you through. So you know what I did when I was going through my divorce and pain and my ex-wife was having an affair on me repeatedly? Guess how many times I was at the altar getting prayer? I can't even count, hundreds. I cried and cried and cried on my knees up front. And we do altar calls and it's like, man, where's the desperation? I'm not out to beat you. I'm out to challenge you. The only reason why I'm here this day is because no matter what I went through, I put my faith and trust in God and I bombed it a million times. But I was always at that altar crying, weeping, saying, God, you're my strength. I am. I have bombed it so bad. But Lord, you're so good. And you're the, my only hope to pull me out of it. Once the orphan spirit was broken, it was broken. I never went back. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't work it up. You can only get more broken. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. You know what a contrite heart is? Yeah, man, I really blew it. I was, man, I was an idiot then, but I'm not an idiot anymore. You know what? I did more drugs, hurt more people, broke more people's hearts, used and abused people. I left a trail of destruction behind me. But you know what? That's behind me, and my past doesn't define my future. Now I'm a son. Now I'm going to learn. I repent. One Corinthians fifteen fifty seven is all in the context of death. It ties right in with David. Death has no sting. I weep, I cry, and it hurts. But you know what? I pick myself up, and I realize. See, David, and back to the story. David said, "I'm going to eat and drink now because there's there's nothing I can do about it now." And by the way, I'm going to go to him. He's not going to come to me. Go read. Go read it. I'm going to see Eden Grace again. You're going to see your husband again. You're going to see your husband again. We've got a lot of widows in this church. We're going to care for you. We're going to love you. Don't go it alone if you're a widow. We have money set aside for you. This church will take care of you, whatever you need, but you have to ask. And we also need to build a ministry here to take care for widows. If you've got a passion for that or you're a widow, come and see me. It's what we do. 
This isn't about us. This is about giving life away and what God gives us. Keep giving money so we can take care of them and the orphans and the outcasts. And I don't need the money from this church. I got more coffee shops coming and it's going to be great. So have you noticed that we don't ever pressure you to get it? I have to fight to remind you to give money for the new sanctuary. How's that for a capital campaign? So give, be spirit led. Your money's not your own. Nothing you have is your own. In fact, the more you give it away, God says, oh, because love always outgives and love always outdoes. Can't protect yourself. Some good preaching right here, man. Let's pass the offering buckets right now. First Corinthians 15, 57 says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory. If you go read the context and content of the scripture, it's all about death and overcoming death. It's all about understanding life is eternal. You're going to live for eternity. You might as well start now. There should be a yearning and a longing inside of us for what's coming. But while we're here and present, we have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. So now, thanks be to God, because you have the victory. Say, I have the victory. victory. Some of you are fighting for victory instead of from a place of victory. It's like, I got to get the victory over drugs. The sooner that you realize that you're in Christ and you already have the victory through the cross and the blood, once you get that revelation, stop living behavior modified. That's the problem with most recovery programs. They, they want to modify your behavior. If we don't cut some root systems down inside your heart and you get some healing and deliverance and start, stop believing the lies and start believing who you are in Christ. Notice this, the scripture that I gave you in the beginning. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. For this is the will of God outside of Christ, far away from Christ, in. You're in Christ now. Are you born again? Matthew, then you're in Christ. Now you're not condemned, period. Now God lovingly admonishes and directs and disciplines you to the point where it's like, man, I don't want to live the way I used to live anymore. So you, at some point, are going to make the decision to say, I'm going to do it the easy way instead of the hard way. I'm tired of cracking up, right? But some of you can't stop living in this world of regret from your past. And you're always thinking about, man, I bombed it, I blew it. Now your situation is, is a terrible situation in the natural, but the way God sees it is different. Yeah. So we weep and cry, but we have trust and we understand that God wants you to have remorse and wants you to be sorrowful. But there's two types of sorrow. There's godly sorrow and there's worldly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7.10. One sorrow is killing you. The other one will actually produce life in you. You bombed it, you blew it. Okay, I realize, man, I confess stuff all the time now. And I'm like, man, I was hiding that thing in my heart or I didn't treat my wife right. Seven hours of an encounter of stuff that God was showing me and I cried and cried and cried. It's like, you need to be born again. I'm like, I am born again. What do you mean, Lord? 
I know I'm born again. He goes, yeah, but you need to be born again again. Like, what are you talking about? He goes, you have, still have dead branches. How do I know what those dead branches are? It's every area you're hiding and preserving in your life. Because when you cut it out, now perfect love comes to that place. What are you protecting? Because you haven't surrendered every area of your life yet. Surrender it all. Because those branches that are producing bad fruit, he's going to cut and throw into the fire. It's much better for you to say, Lord, any branch in my life that is not bearing good fruit, take it. Throw it to the fire so we didn't have to cut something out of you that makes it even more painful. And Dave, I'm going to show you a couple of scriptures where David's like, man, it was good I was afflicted. I needed to be afflicted. But nobody wants affliction. But David's like, man, if I hadn't have been afflicted, I wouldn't be honoring your word now. Because yeah. right. even in, in affliction and God's reprimanding and admonition and discipline, it's all designed to produce life inside of you. So godly sorrow first produces, Lord, I'm man, I, I hate what I did, and I'm so sorry. He says, I love that. I'm going to bring salvation. I'm going to rescue you, deliver you, protect you, and now I'm going to make you into be who you're called to be. That's what salvation is. And now, by the way, don't live in any regret. Look at the scripture, not to be regretted. I wish I knew today, I wish I knew when I was in my early 20s or my teens, what I know today, but I don't. And I can't go back and redo that. But what I can do is pick myself up and move forward. And when you bomb it and you blow it, you repent, you say, God, I'm worshiping you. And even in the midst of death and hardship, when, look, Daniel's got a nation and a king that's saying, you can't even pray. And you know what Daniel did? He prayed, but he did it with gratitude. Some of your prayers are this pleading, fearful. It's a lack of understanding of a good, good father. Now, God will take your crying out because he loves you and he took mine for a long time. But as you mature, you begin to understand, well, God already loves me and has the best interest for me. Now I'll just come into agreement with his plan. The sorrow of the world produces death. Do you feel like because of your painful situation, you're dying? You might be in worldly sorrow. You need to come out of it. Psalm 11967, David says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Affliction and pain probably are highly synonymous. Psalm 11971, it is good for me that I have been afflicted so that I can learn your statutes. To be thankful means to experience pleasure, satisfaction, and delight. All that was inside God's garden. In fact, the Garden of Eden is called pleasure and delight. So when I'm thankful, I'm in pleasure and delight and satisfaction. That's why 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, godliness with contentment equals great gain. Some synonyms of being thankful is joyful, cheery, Tickled, lighthearted, gleeful, elated, ecstatic, jubilant, hopeful, glad, content, appreciative, satisfied, and optimistic. Now, it's not a false optimism, and it doesn't mean it removes the, the pain or the, or the tears out of your life. But we cried oceans and oceans of rivers in our loss. But we stayed thankful. 
Now I'm here to tell you the story about it, aren't I? And Amber's wrote a children's book, which we have, by the way, back at the bookstore. Now my wife's flamed on, never spoke before. Now she teaches and balls her eyes out on public display. Isn't it funny how God does stuff like that? Here's some anonyms of thankful. Anguish, mournful, sorrowful, downcast, gloomy, dissatisfied, joyless, not pleased, heartsick, dark, black, dispirited, disgruntled, and the biggest of them all is complaining, which in turn kills trust, confidence. It kills your belief. It brings doubt, insecurity. It's a lack of faith, and it'll keep you from resting in the here and the now, especially in, a, or in the future and especially for eternity. The number one thing that kept the Israelites back from the promised land was unbelief and complaining. Complaining's the fastest way to keep you back from what God has for you. And the devil's got a million things for you to complain about, even in this church, especially in this church. Don't you think the devil's gonna work on overtime to divide us? and a move of God and the church in general. That's why so many people are kept away from God's house. There are a lot of messed up churches out there, but not all of them are. And so if any of those things are in your life, I would challenge you to replace it with being thankful. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You can be thankful when it's painful. but not when you don't trust and believe that God is good and that he's always for you. But if you do believe that, you make the conscious decision to worship like David did after a horrible loss and a massive failure. You make the decision to pray and come into agreement and remain hopeful even when it's painful. So today, if you are in pain, we wanna pray for you. Let's all stand. close your eyes for just a moment. I'm going to ask you a few questions. And if there's a yes to any of these, I'm, cha I'm going to challenge you to come up for prayer. I'd like to ask my prayer partners to come up and my ministry team to come up and the worship team. Here's some questions. I drink or do drugs because I don't want to face the pain. It's too hard. It hurts too much. I isolate myself because I don't want anybody to know because I'm hurting. I busy myself with work because if I keep busy, I won't have to focus on the hurt. I'm angry. Some of you have been mad at God. Some of you have been mad at yourself. Some of you, it's been so hard to worship. Some of you are so angry at the government. So angry about what happened in Afghanistan. Some of you are so angry 
about what's happening in the White House and with the laws of the land. And it's gotten you apathetic and jaded and mad. And it's affecting your joy and your life and your worship. Some of you are mad at somebody else. Some of you don't like the leaders here, but you like the presence here, so you keep coming. I don't know. What's your thing? And then even if none of that's you, guess what you should do? Always stay thankful at all times. Some of you feel like you're being afflicted and tormented. Affliction and torment go hand in hand. Nightmares, demonic activity. Some of you opened up major doors to the enemy. Fear, worry everywhere. Guess what? Worship and gratitude is the first place to start because now you're saying my life's not my own. If any of those things are you, I want to challenge you to come up right now and let somebody pray for you right now. Come up and let somebody pray for you. We've got plenty of prayer partners here, moms, dads, sons, daughters. Come on up if that's you today. Some of you are hiding and protecting areas in your heart and you're not letting go. You're not really letting God in. You want help, but you don't want to fully let God into your heart. Maybe your marriage. Maybe you're hiding things on the side. We all did it once. If that's you, come on up. There's no shame in this house. There's no shame in this house. So, Father, I thank you so much, Lord, that we can be thankful when it's painful. As we go into this Thanksgiving week, Lord, I pray for everyone here as they travel, as they spend time with friends and family. If you don't have somebody to spend Thanksgiving with, come and see any of the leaders here. We'll invite you all over to, well, I'm going to be out of town, so you can't come to my house, but (laughs) don't go it alone, especially all my widows here. And if you want to invite somebody to your house, see a leader and let them know. And I bless all of you as mighty worshipers. You're a mighty worshiper. And I'm going to trust that all y'all, if you're hurting and in pain, are going to worship God. Lift your hands to the King of Kings. In fact, let's lift them up right now to the Lord. Before we go, as an act of surrender. God, let's pray this together. Say, God, help me to always be thankful, even when it's painful. I thank you, God, that in all things, you're good. You're the Lord. Jesus is Lord. Lord, help me to let go of any areas in my heart that I'm preserving or protecting that you want to heal. Lord, show me and help me, God, to trust you at all times. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Your rod and your staff will comfort me and I will fear no evil. No fear, no worry, no doubt. Be thankful when it's painful. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you want to partner with us in what God is doing here at Rock City, you can give by visiting our website at rockcitycorpus.com slash give.